Good morning. The year was 1987. I was a 21-year-old student at University of Michigan, and I had gone to Urbana, Illinois, for a mission conference. The theme of that conference was taken from the last verse in the book of Jonah. Should I not be concerned for that great city? Every day that we attended that conference, there was a chorus we sang, and that chorus still rings through my mind years later. Chorus went, Should I not be concerned for Nineveh? Should I not be concerned for that great city? Should I not be concerned for people everywhere? Now go forth, go forth, and show that I care. In 1996, when... uh, Our family moved to Kalamazoo. We attended Calvary Bible Church for the first time, and Pastor John Monroe preached a message, a series of messages, actually, on the book of Jonah. And as I prayed for the Lord's leading of what to share with you all, as my wife and I look forward to heading back to long-term service in the country of Nepal, he brought my attention once more to this book. A book in the Old Testament that ends with a profound question. Should I not be concerned? Well, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Jonah. This morning, I would like to present an overview of the book. I hope to do so in a way that you won't forget. In the book of Jonah, we see many aspects of God's character. We see his sovereignty, his judgment, his grace, his kindness. But we also see a very honest portrayal of the heart of one of God's servants, Jonah. And the more I've studied this book, the more I've been convicted that I can sometimes be quite hard on Jonah, and I see far more of Jonah in myself than I'd care to admit. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The Lord asked Jonah to do a difficult task. Jonah was called to leave his country to go to a foreign land and to preach against their wickedness. And the people of Nineveh had a reputation that preceded them. They were known as a violent and cruel people. And they were not known to be receptive to the things of God. Sometimes the Lord calls his people to do things that involve risk. Sometimes the Lord calls his servants to trust him to accomplish his purposes, even when it seems very unlikely that those purposes will be accomplished. Have you ever been given a task that you just didn't want to do? What do you do? You kind of put it off. You do all kinds of other things rather than the thing you've been asked. And so we have Jonah. Verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the, the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God called Jonah told him to go to Nineveh. From man's perspective, this is very challenging. Confronting sin is never easy. 
confronting sin in a people that are not your own, in a language that's not your own, and a people that have a reputation for not tolerating that kind of thing is very challenging. And many times we feel like Jonah, that we are put in challenging situations. And what we need to understand is that the God who has called us is already at work wherever he calls us. And our job is simply to be faithful. But as Jonah responded, he ran the opposite direction. He didn't want to do what God asked him to do. And that makes me think of how often it is that God convicts me of something and I run in the opposite direction. He ran away from God, but in doing so, he forgot that you really can't run away from God. David in the Psalm, Psalm 137, reminds us that we can't go anywhere to flee from God's presence. If we go to the depths of the sea, he's there with us. When we go in the opposite direction, what happens? Well, disobedience results in danger and loss. As we read on, we hear about how God sends a storm. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Disobedience resulted in loss of cargo and the violent storm was threatening to break the ship. Anytime we disobey God's calling, there's a price, there is a cost. And you have to ask yourself, what price are you willing to pay for your disobedience? Now, when we go to verse 5, all the sailors are calling out to their own gods, but the servant of the living God is in the boat and what's he doing he's asleep he's oblivious to the storm around him how often in life can there be turmoil going around us and we are oblivious to it so the captain goes down and wakes him up verse 6 the captain went to him and said how can you sleep get up and call on your god maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish and then they cast lots to identify who's responsible. And the lot comes on Jonah. And so they say, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Where are you from? Where's your co- what country? What people are you from? And now Jonah has to give a response. And it's interesting. He tells about who he's from who he is and where he's from, but he doesn't tell about his job, his occupation. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the response, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So Jonah makes this comment. They're all absolutely terrified Their lives are at stake. So here we have a dilemma. 
There's a storm, and Jonah is asked, what should we do? And his response is an interesting one. He says, throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, it'll take care of the problem. But the sailors don't want that solution. Instead, they say, we've got to figure something out. And they desperately try to row back to shore, but it's not, it's not working. And finally, they do throw Jonah overboard, and there's a calm. And the sailors all worship the God of heaven and earth, the God of Jonah, who's responsible for among other things, providing that calm. So, it's interesting to me, when Jonah was asked for a solution, that he didn't say, I could repent, I could go back and do what God told me to do. Instead, his, his solution is, throw me overboard. How often in times do we actually take responsibility for our own actions? And how often do we neglect God's direction as we do that? Well, if I had to choose one word to sum up the character of God's servant in this chapter, it would be stubborn. He was headed in the wrong direction, and he was stubborn. And I think to myself, how often is that the case in my own heart? God puts a burden on my heart, I do the opposite hoping that it'll go away. And again, as we consider Jonah, we may not be all headed to Tarshish, but if you organize your life in such a way that you never come in contact with someone who hasn't heard the reason for the hope that's within you, who's never heard the gospel, and you spend your life like that, how are we not different? We are not showing concern of the God who made each of those people. So we come to chapter 2. But before we come to chapter 2, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. God's compassion still is present. Jonah has deliberately done the exact opposite of what he was commanded to do. Even in his last words, he doesn't say, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. He says, throw me overboard. But God in his sovereignty provides a great fish who is there at the right time and the right place to deliver Jonah. And so we come to chapter 2. And if the focus is backwards in chapter 1, in chapter 2, it goes downward. We, hear, we see in chapter 2 a record of Jonah's prayer from the depths of the sea. In chapter 1, God called and Jonah responded. In chapter 2, Jonah calls and God responds. Jonah cries out to God from the depths of the grave, deep in the sea. This morning we sang, this is our prayer in the desert. Well, Jonah wasn't in the desert. He's in a deep sea. He's got seaweed around his head. He's in desperate situations. 
And then this fish swallows him. And he feels like he's banished from God's sight, but he still has hope. Chapter 2, verse 2. He said, so this is from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to his Lord God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Verse 4, I said I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. God delivered Jonah. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to idols, worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But with a song of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. We have a tremendous picture of the grace of God. When Jonah was in the belly of that fish, suddenly life became very focused for him. And he had a chance to really think about what mattered most. And in that time, he cried out to God. He was completely powerless to do anything to save himself. And God, in his grace, reached down, picked him up out of the depths, and set him on a solid place. That is the grace of God. We are powerless to do anything to save ourselves. But God, through the death of Christ, allows us to experience forgiveness, redemption, and establishment. Salvation comes from the Lord. And Jonah recognized that. Verse 8 says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. There's nothing in this world that's worth clinging to that's more valuable than the grace of God. And so, one word that sums up the character of God's servant in chapter 2 is scared. Many, many times when I've been in a dangerous or difficult situation, I cry out to the Lord. I'm scared. Help. And the wonderful thing about God is he doesn't hold that against me. But time and time again, he shows compassion and lifts his servant up out of that miry clay. Verse 10 of chapter 2. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God is sovereign. He provided the fish, and at just the right time, the fish comes to dry land, and Jonah is once again restored. Chapter 3. So we've seen God's servant, who initially turned the wrong way, was going backwards, then he went downwards. Now he's headed in the right direction. He's going forward. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I will give you. Verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites, verse 5, believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is absolutely extraordinary. Jonah's sermon is one of the shortest messages we have recorded. So there's nothing about the sermon, per se, or the servant of God who gave the sermon, but it's the God who sent him. The people of Nineveh believed. They repented. They said, we're going to change the way we live. We're going in one way. We're going to turn and go in a different direction to honor God's judgment. And you have a massive change. By decree of the king, he makes it against the law to for either man or beast, herd or flock, to taste anything or to eat or drink, but they should be covered in sackcloth and let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is coming from the top ruler and God's response. God's message results in repentance and God responds, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. One word to sum up the character of God's servant in chapter 3. He was sent, and this time he actually went where he was sent to go. God was so gracious. Something absolutely amazing had occurred in Nineveh. Hearts had changed. People who had gone in a direction that was headed towards destruction stopped, repented, and turned to God. And you'd think this would have just been the most amazing thing that Jonah could have experienced. But we go to chapter 4. And chapter 4 shows us something of the heart of God's servant. Verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Goodness gracious. Jonah's complaint against God is he's showing the same character to the people of Nineveh that he himself had experienced when he was in the belly of the fish. And he requests God to take his life. So here we have Jonah's complaint and God's response. And how gracious the Lord is with Jonah. God asks Jonah a question. Do you have any right to be angry? And then he provides a vine 
a worm, and a scorching wind to teach Jonah a lesson. The vine provides him shade, and Jonah really likes it. Jonah had built a shelter, and he's watching Nineveh to see how God is going to uh, put out his judgment. And now this vine is there, and it provides him shade, and he really liked it. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. This is the only time in the book that we hear about Jonah being very happy. This vine comes up and he thinks, This is great. I'm comfortable. I've got a good view. I hope God changes his mind and condemns the city of Nineveh. And meanwhile, I can be in air conditioned comfort because of this vine. And then God sends a worm. And the worm chews up the vine so that it withers. Notice that the great fish, the vine, and the worm all did exactly what the Lord said. And then the sun rose, and there's a scorching east wind. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and it blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Two words to sum up the character of God's servant in chapter 4 self centered. Jonah was very happy to have God do the amazing in his life, to grant him life. But when the people of Nineveh repented, he was kind of upset. And I thought to myself, how often is that the case in my own heart? You hear about someone who's done something really evil, and you just long for God in his judgment to strike them down. But God is rich in mercy. He's gracious, and he's not willing that any of us should perish. And so he helps Jonah understand what it means to care. This vine provided him shade. And Jonah was very concerned when the vine was gone. And God says to Jonah, should I not be concerned for Nineveh? There's over 120,000 people in that city who don't know their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned? Well, this is not the last time in the Bible that Jonah is mentioned. Jonah shows us what it's like to be on the wrong track, to be back, go backwards, to go down, to then get on the right track, only to be self-absorbed and to not be about God's purpose. But in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as one who is greater than Jonah. And Jesus 
was sent to this world, a violent and wicked place. And Jesus was obedient to his father. And Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, verse, chapter 12, verses 38 to 41, when he was asked for a sign, Matthew 12, A wicked, this is verse 39, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The sign of Jonah, Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. He was obedient to his father. He didn't consider his life anything to be held on to, but gave it up as a ransom for many. The focus of the Lord was to do the will of his Father. He said, the Son of Man has not come to serve, but not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm so thankful that he heeded the call. And Jesus gives us a call. He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. It is our job to heed that call. Jesus had an upward focus, not his will, but the will of his Father, and he was a servant. So we can choose. Like Jonah, we can respond to the call, but instead of being stubborn, we can choose to be surrendered. Instead of being scared, we can recognize that we are safe when we are following what the Lord asks us to do. Instead of focusing on how difficult it is to be sent, we can focus on the sender. We just sang about how God is worthy. And if we believe what we sang, we need to do our best to serve others. Instead of being self-centered, we should serve others. So how do you do this? I've listed here four practical steps to serve the Lord. And many times people will say, well, tell us about your journey. How did you actually get to the pl place where you are now? The first step, simple, follow Christ. If God tells you something, do what he tells you. Practice bold faithfulness. Prepare to be sent and focus outside of yourself. That will lead to service with joy. Let's unpackage that a little bit. It starts by following Christ. Salvation, as I said, comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. But that's just the beginning. You can start to chart your spiritual journey by having devotional times in the Word of God and prayer every day. 
And as you do that, you'll be able to track that progress. And then you can start hiding God's word in your heart as you study and memorize it. And then you have to become part of a local fellowship. Regular attendance with other believers is critical for your spiritual growth. And finally, don't keep it to yourself. Share with others the hope that you have within you. The next step, build bold faithfulness. If you've not taken the step of baptism, go ahead. Jesus says that we are to follow him in this way, and it's a way that you can publicly identify that you are a follower of the Lord. Belong to a local church. It is so, so essential that you become part of a fellowship, that you have a system of accountability. Bless others with your service in the church. And then arrange your finances in such a way that you want to serve God's kingdom. As you become more bold in your, in your faith, you then have the opportunity to prepare for service. And you don't know how or where God is going to use you, but there are some general suggestions that I make to people who seek to follow God as he's leading them. The first is to pray strategically. Second, participate in any local, any training at your local church that you have. We have so many opportunities to grow in our knowledge of the word, but it's all with the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. If you need a professional qualification or specific experience, get that. It helps to be physically fit in order to serve God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And if you're in tremendous debt, make a plan to get out of debt because it's very hard to go to some place if you're chained with that particular chain. And then as God gives you a passion for others, identify a specific ministry focus. Now pray once again, but pray with other people. Get a group together and start intentionally praying for God's guidance and leading. Start to investigate what other people are doing, other organizations in which you might be able to serve, and figure out what you need to do to prepare to serve the Lord. It is such a joy to serve God. Can I tell you, if you're scared about going to a place like Nineveh and being God's ambassador, don't worry about the place you're being sent to. Focus on the one who is sending you. You are an ambassador for the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is worthy. So we go back to that question that we asked at the beginning, should I not be concerned? The answer is, you should be concerned because God is at work in a powerful way and you want to be part of that work. Serve with joy wherever the Lord sends you. My wife, Gina, and I will be leaving for long-term service in Nepal on the 24th of August. We are so excited to continue the work to which the Lord has called us over the past 25 years. When I was a young boy, I remember listening to a song on the radio, and it went like this. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to play the game. 
Put me in, coach. I can be center field. And I feel like I've had a chance to, to watch at the bench, but I want to be put back in the game. I want to see where God is at work, and I want to join him. And it's so exciting to be part of this body of believers because as we go, we know that we're not going on our own. We're going because of Calvary Bible Church. We're going in the strength of what God has accomplished through his people. As we look back over the past, from 2000 to 2011, God allowed us 12 years of full-time ministry in that land. From 2012 to 2023, we've been blessed to be part of this body. But even as we were here, you encouraged and mobilized us, and we were able to go, and during part of that time, we had the Hope for the Himalayas project. And now we have an opportunity to go once again. I'll be going as a a pediatrician and a pediatric cardiologist, and my wife will be serving as an engineer at Tansen Mission Hospital. We hope to minister to people's physical needs. We also hope to minister to people's spiritual needs. And most of all, we hope to be making disciples because that's everyone's job, no matter where they are. Nepal is a beautiful, beautiful land, and God is powerfully at work in that place. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for your support. I want to recognize members of our family who've come and joined us today and who have encouraged us to follow God's call. Gina and I pray that we would be faithful ambassadors in the field that he's called us to. We're so excited to go. We're so excited to see what God will do. And my prayer is that as you consider the story of Jonah and our story, you'll also consider what the Lord is asking each of you to do. I pray that you will have the courage that it takes to step out in faith and to learn to trust the Lord because there's great, great joy in serving our God. You know, we sang earlier about God's glory. And at the end of the day, everything that we do should be about making the Lord Jesus Christ famous, about his glory. It's not because of anything that we are able to do. Our competence comes because of the one who has sent us. So we go back to that first question I, I asked. Should I not be concerned? We should be concerned. We should make it our business to seek to honor and glorify God wherever he sends us. We should make it our priorities to spend time with people who don't know him so that we can be his witnesses. And we shouldn't get overwhelmed by the size of the task because we serve an amazing God. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your kindness. We thank you for the tremendous privilege that it is to serve as your ambassadors. And Lord, I pray for each one here that you would allow them to experience in a powerful, powerful way your calling. 
I pray that you would give us hearts that are not stubborn, Lord, but, Father, that you would allow us to be servants. I pray that we would not be scared of the tasks that we face, but that we would trust that you are our safety. I pray that we wouldn't focus on the difficulties of being sent, but rather focus on the privilege it is to be sent of you, the great God who sends us. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us not to be self-absorbed, but, Father, that you would allow us to be all about your kingdom and bringing others to it. I pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name.